0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Holy Shift Podcast, a podcast designed to shift how we see everything. I'm Scott Neal, your host, also lead pastor of Forest Park Church in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. If you are new to The Holy Shift Podcast, let me explain a little bit about what we do here. I sit down with leaders, authors, therapists, pastors, and I ask them questions that help us see how they are shifting the way we see life. God, the scriptures, mental health, how we follow Jesus, what it means to love people and welcome people. We cover a lot of ground in this podcast, and I'm honored to have you along for the ride. In this episode, I interview Dr. Todd Bolsinger. Dr. Todd is Associate Professor of Leadership Formation at Fuller Seminary. It was an honor to sit down with him and learn from him. Dr. Todd has written several books. Two of his books have impacted my life greatly. The first This one is called Canoeing the Mountains. The other one is called uh, Tempered Resilience. We get into some of these uh, books in this interview. In fact, I read a few quotes from each of the books and asked Todd to provide us some more information and thoughts about what he was attempting to to get across in these books. I tell you what, this interview to me is just so rich. It's just loaded with good information about what it means to be an effective leader in our current culture. So it's an honor to have you here to learn with me as I was learning from Dr. Todd. Uh, One more thing before we get into this interview, I'm going to be giving away one of his books to someone who wants it. All you got to do is simply share this podcast on a social media platform. It doesn't matter which one, just share it and then let me know that you've shared it. All right, send me a message or tag me in it, ever how you want to let me know that you've shared it. I'll put your name in a drawing. And before next week, when we release the next episode of the podcast, I'll pull out a name and whoever wins, you can have one of the books of your choice. I'll cover the postage on it. I'll mail it directly to you and you can enjoy the information in Dr. Todd's books. All right. I want you to sit back, relax. I want you to learn. I want you to grow, be stretched and uh, together we'll have some things shifted in the way we think and the way we see life. All right, let's get into the interview with Dr. Todd Bolsinger. All right. Well, uh, welcome, Dr. Bolsinger. It's great to have you on the podcast today.
1: Nice to be with you. Thanks for
0: having me. No, oh, You are welcome. It's a real honor. Uh, I'd like for you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit to our audience, because I'm sure there are some people who are not familiar with your work. So if you will, just, just take a few moments and give me a little overview of uh, what you do at Fuller Seminary and why is it you have such a passion, uh, not only for training leaders, but also for Uh, writing about leadership. What's going on inside of you that makes it such a passion?
1: Yeah. So so, uh, thank you for asking. Um, So I've been at Fuller um, as a professor and administrator since 2014. Yeah. Um, I For 27 years before that, I was a pastor in a church. I had 10 oh. years at Hollywood Presbyterian on their staff as, an, as a staff person and associate pastor, and then 17 years as a senior pastor in San Clemente, California. And then I was invited to come to the seminary um, where I'd gotten my MDiv and my PhD to work with them on how do you form the leaders of the future? That's what yeah. seminaries do. Yeah. And um, so I'm an associate professor of leadership formation, and now I run the Church Leadership Institute. And uh, my wife and I and some friends have a consulting and speaking and coaching company on the side. And so I wake up every single day trying to help faith leaders thrive as change leaders. And I get to do it through research and teaching and through speaking and coaching and consulting.
0: Well, that's wonderful. I tell you, your books came across my desk just this past year. I wasn't familiar with your writings. I'm not even sure where I came across your name. It was either in an article I was reading or possibly another book may have quoted you. And I picked up, the first book I picked up uh, was Tempered Resilience. And Mm. we'll get into that in just a moment. And then as a result of reading that, I got into Canoeing the Mountains. And both of them just uh, were so refreshing to me, challenging and encouraging mm. as well. So I want to jump into a little bit of, of, of those two books. I haven't read any of your other books, so I'll, hopefully I'll get to them. But I have, right. uh, I have jumped into those two and try my best to share them with as many people as possible. So if you will, would you give us a, a quick overview of, let's go with Canoeing the Mountains first and just give us a, a kind of an overview of of what the book is about. And then if it's all right with you, I've got some quotes from the book. I'd like to just kind of read and then get your, your feedback on them.
1: Glad to, glad to. So, so canoeing the mountains is really a a metaphor that takes, that uses a historic, the historical story of the Lewis and Clark expedition to talk about how do you lead when you go off the map? That's what it basically is. When you're in uncharted territory, when you're, um, When literally you no longer have a map to follow or uh, anybody in your group who has experience at that point, um, or at least that you don't think do. And so what it is, is it's a story about how they were trying to find the water route that would connect the, you know, the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. Um, And they would that water route was the Missouri River that eventually they took all the way to its source and then they climbed up the side of the Lemhi Pass and looked over and found the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. And, um, and the whole story is if you're on a canoe trip and you find run into the Rocky Mountains, you got to do some changes if you're going to keep going and Absolutely. you're going to have to adapt. And, um, and that's what really that story is about. It's how do you lead when you go off the map? And there's a type of leadership that is called adaptive leadership that's actually shaped for exactly that moment. And so what I basically do in the book is I introduce Christian uh, leaders to the concept of adaptive leadership that can be a really helpful, faithful way to lead forward when you don't have any best practices or experts to guide you.
0: I'd that say was, that was a great way of uh, setting the book up with Lewis and Clark, because I learned not only some leadership principles and some things that I need to work on in my own life as a pastor and leader, but also learned a lot about Lewis and Clark. And it, yeah. it, it gave me an interest in going and reading a little bit more about their history and their journey and, and some of the obstacles that they, uh, they ran into. So that, that was a great way to frame the book, by the way. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah, glad. Create a lot of interest to keep reading and and, and keep mm-hmm. learning. Well, I'm I'm going to jump into a little bit of Canoe in the Mountains, and then we'll we'll flip over to uh, Resilience, and we'll kind of okay. walk through a few of these. And, and by the way, let me just say to our audience, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Dr. Todd, please go and get his, his books because I, you will be challenged. You will be encouraged. I promise you, you won't be the same. And you will learn a lot uh, from Dr. Todd, not only just in the uh, leadership principles he shares, but also in his experience and some of the history. He brings in a lot of great quotes. By the way, uh, one of the books you, you, rec- you reference several different times, and I believe it is in Canoeing the Mountains, is A Failure of Nerve. And mm-hmm. I picked that book up and I'm working my way through it now. And I tell you Good what, you. what a great book. I mean, that is, I, again, was not familiar, but that's yeah. one, one of the things I love about reading is that it, it just, you know, opens you up to some other authors and some some other books. So again, thank you for that. Uh, here, here's a comment that grabbed my attention and I meditated on it a lot. And it's a very simple, you know, concept, but it, it's so deep. And this is uh, it's a little just a little ways into the book of Canoe in the Mountains, it says, Christian leaders, you were trained for a world that is disappearing. And I remember when I read that, I just kind of stopped. And I started thinking, because this pandemic certainly has uh, brought a lot of that, you know, to my mind that things have changed so much. I'd like to just hear a little bit more about what you mean by that. In other words, what's disappearing? And what do you think is is replacing it?
1: Mm. So, so here's an interesting part, right? We all know and have all experienced the uh, sense of disruption that the pandemic has brought, right? Yeah. Like everybody knows that things are really, really different today. Well, I wrote that, this book in 2000, what, 2013, yeah. right? I wrote it in a totally different time yeah. because the big change people were grappling with in 2013, it came out in 2015, was what I call the change, uh, the transition from Christendom, and what Christendom is, is where Christianity has kind of a home court advantage within a culture, right? So I would say, you know, if you travel around the country as much as uh, some of us do, you find that in almost every small town, it feels like it's the same, right? Like there's yeah, this right. there's this town kind of courtyard, uh, town square with a fi- most famous dead guy on it. Um, <laughs> there's a library. There's a courthouse. And there's the first church of whoever got there first, right? Yeah. There's first, first Baptist, first Methodist, first Lutheran. And all the other first churches are all on Second Street mm-hmm. because everybody just agreed that the center of society was law, education, and religion. Mm-hmm. And even people who weren't Christians agreed that that would be Christian religion. Yeah. So I worked at a church you know, for 10 years during the 80s. Um, and early 90s, that was um, that in 1963, that church was the largest church in our denomination. It had it had uh, 9,000 members. My goodness. It was featured in the Los Angeles Times, actually. And, and somebody gave me the newspaper clipping. But the most interesting part of the whole thing for me wasn't that it was featured in the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Times. It's that the Los Angeles Times featured a week's yeah. worth of daily Bible readings. My
0: goodness, yeah.
1: So if you think about like the yeah. major newspapers of America helping you with your morning quiet time, right. well, then you understand that was the world that was a generation ago. That was literally 19, December 1963 was four months before I was born. Yeah. So one generation ago, the society supported Christianity, which is really trans, very, very, very different today. And what we have to grapple with is what are we going to do about it? And some of us, all we want to do is go back. Like, let's just go back there. I think what God is doing is saying to us, look, that world has changed and I need you to be faithful in this new world. So the world in front of you is really different than the world behind you. And we were trained for that world. And now we need a different kind of training.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You said it it came out, I think you wrote it in 13, came out in 15 and Mm -hmm. I, I read resilience first and then I went to canoeing the mountains, but I had to look at canoeing the mountains, uh, the date because it felt so relevant to where we are right now. And I thought, man, he, he wrote this right almost at the beginning of the pandemic had to, you know, and then I looked at it and said, no, it was much earlier, but i tell you what, it was just so applicable to where we are and so helpful and challenging that was one of the quotes that I, I just stopped. I shared that with our staff team. I said, look, I said, mm-hmm. you know, I have a young man, uh, Preston, who's our student pastor. He just finished his MDiv and, mm-hmm. you know, he came out of, in, in youth ministry and, and pastoral counseling. And I said, look, already, you know, things have changed so much. And we're, we're wrestling through what to do now and, and what to do post pandemic and how to connect people who are not wanting to, to come to church as quick, you know, as, uh, as, as uh, faithfully as they were before. And, you know, new questions and new fears and, and all those different things. So just that one quote alone caused a lot of discussion. So that, that was great. Uh, let's, let's move on. on and page, on page 40, you said, for most of us in ministry, our defaults that once worked so well are not working and we become discouraged. So what do we do? We talk longer. We preach more. We try harder. Uh, we go into our bag of tricks and bring out our best programs. We give a personal touch. We hope that caring for stakeholders will inspire them to change. Basically, mm-hmm. this is my thoughts. Uh, we, we simply do the same thing. We just do a whole lot more of it. And I tell you, I'm so guilty of that. You know, I figure, well, you know, I'll just preach more. You know, I'll I'll try this harder. I'll, I'll just do it again. And, you know, I've been in our, our church uh, here in North Carolina for 20 years and, and the word, the world's changed a lot in 20 years. And what I used to be able to do 20 years ago, that would, you know, attract some, some folks and, and they found some, some life and hope is not necessarily attracting their children. Yes. And I'm having to to figure out, okay, I've been here 20 years and things are different today than they were then. But I I do the same thing because I'm not sure what else to do. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's. I'm just not sure. So I, I keep trying. And that, that really spoke to me. And I'm sure that you're speaking to that in some of the, the seminary students there at Fuller and trying to help them to adapt to the current world.
1: Well, yeah, you see uh, that, that whole notion that... Um, I always I say this, you know, uh, think about being in a seminary. Like, right, every single person who comes to seminary, somebody said to them, you're the best Christian I know. You should go pro. Right. <laughs> like, you, right. should go, you should go off to professional Christian school. That's right. And then we, we take them... And we give them a master of divinity. Like they sound like a superhero, right? You send them into a congregation. And in some ways they are the people who are most equipped, right? But what happens when people don't show up to listen to you teach the scriptures, where the programs that we once run don't work, where you want to do pastoral care, you want to care for people, and you can't even find them in the hospital because the hospital, they they get checked out too fast. Or now with COVID, you can't even go um, visit them. What we realized is we weren't prepared to think about how we make healthy adaptations, not just defaulting back to our old training, but keep learning. Yeah. And so then we get exhausted. I said, it's like it's like being in a canoe where there is no water in the river. Right. You can't tell people paddle harder. like They'll just exhaust themselves. Yeah. But that's what a lot of our leaders are doing today. They're trying to paddle harder. And we're actually the truth is the terrain has changed really profoundly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends in, in ministry and that's exactly the way you describe it. It's exactly right. I had a uh, wonderful conversation with Dr. Chuck DeGroat uh, mm-hmm. recently, and he mentioned about, you know, in, in counseling with, with pastors behind the scenes, he hears a lot of just guilt and shame because they don't feel like they can keep up. They're unable yep. to, to, you know, change with the times as quickly as as what's going on around them. And they see, of course, at the conferences, you know, the churches that are doing so well and and, you know, they keep trying to do more of the same and not really knowing what to do. And uh, again, that's one of those parts of the book. I sat down and I thought, you know, that that's me. I, I, I'm I'm looking back you know, at what I used to do that worked. Mm-hmm. And I just think, okay, well, I'll just kind of bring out my, I love the, the phrase you use, the bag of tricks, you know, mm-hmm. and I certainly don't, they don't feel like tricks, you know, they no. feel like tools that that work. And I just, okay, I'll just try it again. And uh, it's just not as effective as it used to be. And that goes back to the, the world's changed so much.
1: Yeah. And that's really the part, you know, the, the thing I work on every single day with leaders is um, learning the capacity to make wise faithful change yeah. In, yeah. in a changing world so that our unchanging reality of sharing the love of God with people will be able to be heard yeah. that's that's really what we're working yeah. on and this is sometimes we just go to kind of methods or techniques i actually think that we need to go to deep learning yeah. In a different way,
0: that's so good. I want to get into a little bit of that in just mm-hmm. a moment. This is on page fifty-one. Another quote uh, from your book. It says, "Traditional churches will only become missionary churches as those in authority and even those without formal authority develop capacity to lead their congregations to a long, truly transformational process that starts with the transformation of the leaders and requires mm-hmm. a thoroughgoing change in leadership functioning." So, my my question to you on that on that quote is, what needs to be transformed? in the leader before he or she tries to transform the congregation.
1: So, um, so let me, there's lots of pieces to it, um, but let me just boil it down to like two that are the most important. In order to lead people through change, you have to have a high degree of trust. People have to trust you. They trust you. Because they believe that you are a person who is competent, right? Like, like when you open the scriptures, we actually get to hear someone who handles the scriptures well. When, if we come ask you for counseling, you're actually caring and good at what you do, right? right. If you are organize a group of people toward the mission of God, it's toward the mission of God. Like there's like that, what we call that technical competence has to be really high. Hmm. You also have to be a person who is what we call relationally congruent. So when I coach and I work with people, I talk a lot about, you know, are you the same person at the grocery store as you are the um, front of the pulpit? Like, do people experience you as being a trustworthy person? Now, here's the challenge. To lead people to adaptive change literally means to lead them when you have to say to them with complete congruence, I'm not competent. I don't know what's next. I don't have a plan. But what I will do and what I am competent at is being a learner. I will lead you through a process where we'll learn together. And the good news about being a Christian is that the word for being a new Christian, the word that the scriptures use, disciple, means learner. So what you're having to do is take people through a process of learning and learning together how to be faithful in this next step for the faith, for the mission of God in the world. Yeah. And that's a really difficult part for most of us who are trained to be the expert. Sure. So the first thing you have to do, I say is overcome the expert expectation. Mm. You know, you're the one who has the, all the words. You're, the, I mean, I, I remember being a young pastor and having someone say, we believe you will pray and God will speak to you and whatever you tell us to do, we will submit. And I remember going, Oh my gosh, God yeah. does speak to me, but he rarely gives me such clear plans. <laughs> right. right. So what we have to work on is how do you lead people through the learning they need to take on so that they might mu- so that together we might be transformed into the people God wants us to be.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like we we pastors sometimes forget that we're an example in, in all areas. So we're an example, you know, of what we've learned from scripture, but we're also an example when we're ignorant. And we don't exactly know, and, and try to model for them. Yep. OK, what do you do when you face a problem in life and you don't know what to do? Well, I'm going to yep. I'm going to show you what you do. You admit yeah. ignorance. You admit yep. that there's a gap. You admit that yep. you need to continue to r- learn and read. And maybe you, you need to go back to school. Maybe you need to go to right. a different you know training. And, you know, that's tough for, for us pastors, though, because we're so accustomed to people coming to us with with questions. And, and we feel that, you know, we get paid. Uh, to to have the answers, and we feel like we're you know we're failing them somehow if we say we don't know. Yeah, exactly. uh, It feels very vulnerable. It does. I mean,
1: I mean, psychologists say that it's the three hardest words for a human to say are "I don't know." Yeah, think about that. Like so, so to actually to help to 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 believe that what God wants for us is to lead people through a process of discipleship where we're going to discover more about God through our dependence and our humility. Yeah. than we are through our expertise yeah. and our experience is yeah. a really challenging thing. That's a huge change yeah. for, for a lot
0: of pastors. Wow. That's good. Uh, page 53, just got these mm-hmm. uh, kind of quotes that, that jumped out at me. You said today, preaching is not leadership, yeah. but serves leadership mm-hmm. in a changing world. There is so much more to leadership than speaking. And I just want to, I just want to say before you kind of give me some thoughts on that, you know, I've always worked on, on trying to speak well, you know, hone that, that skill as much as I can. And again, I go back 15, 20 years ago, I could stand and give a, a, you know, reasonably good sermon and, and people would really respond to it. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say, Hey, we need volunteers and 20, 20 people would sign up, you know, uh, that is most certainly changing. And there's yeah. more great speakers today than, than ever before. TED Talks are available, you know, at the click of, a you know, your finger. You know, there's great preachers everywhere, downloadable sermons everywhere. Unfortunately, the great sermon is almost like, you know, a dime a dozen today. So you better have a whole lot more. Is that kind of yeah. what you're saying in, in that part? <laughs> Kinda,
1: yeah, yeah, it's close to that. So, um, so I just did a seminar, a webinar, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Christianity Today's mm-hmm. uh, preaching arm, uh, preaching today, and we talked about this subject. So, this is what I mean by it in in, in a in a Christendom world, in a world where people showed up and expected to hear um, something religious, even if you weren't Christian, right? People just yeah. came to church because it was part of what they did then leadership was oftentimes proclaiming and reminding people of what God wants for us mm. and then challenging them to do something today. People don't show up <laughs> like right. so. And because this, so less people are showing up now, now it's less than 50% of yeah. the American public consider this some regular churchgoers Yeah, and regular churchgoers report that they go 1.2 times a month. Mm. So just think about this, you know, You're pastoring today, you might get 15 sermons a year. Well, at half an hour sermon, you get seven and a half hours. They get more content from their local news every week or their favorite drive time DJ every week than they get from us in a year. So preaching alone isn't going to form Mm -hmm. and preaching alone isn't going to be enough about leadership. So what does preaching do? Preaching actually helps establish the relationship and it establishes your competence at a critical skill, which is the scriptures. So then what happens is preaching helps people trust you more and it helps people turn to God more. And then together you learn the capacity to lead people into the mission of God. And so preaching, I say preaching serves leadership. So if you try to lead a congregation and you don't preach well, and you're not faithful to the scriptures, they're not going to follow you anywhere. So you have to have it, but if you can't think that just good preaching alone is going to be enough to bring the kind of transformation we're talking about in a yeah. changing
0: world. I remember reading that uh, from from you about the, you know, just the 1.2 times a month people, you know, attend. And I see that here a lot. I'll, we'll start a new series. They'll come to the first part and they may not come back to the next part of the next series. Mm-hmm. They didn't even hear part 2, part 3, part 4 of the series and you you know you're trying to build an overall thought, you know, you're trying to guide them through a particular, you know, subject or maybe a book of the Bible or whatever and they're just getting bits and pieces of it. And of course, yeah. you know, in our world today, you know, well, I I watch online, I'll catch up online, but we're finding that that isn't necessarily true. Yeah. So we're not speaking into the people's lives nearly as much as we used to. And there's a lot of other voices speaking into their lives. Yes. So it's yes. uh, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. So on uh, page uh, 62, this is the last one from, from that particular book that we'll get into here is uh, unless we demonstrate that we are credible on the map, no one is going to follow us off the map. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was so insightful. So what you, you you spoke to this a moment ago, but just yeah. a little bit more, maybe ways that a, a pastor, a Christian leader can build credibility. Let's imagine I've got some friends who have just walked into a church. They're new and they're 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 trying to kind of turn the church around, if you will. And they're gonna need credibility, correct? I mean, that's yeah. something oh, yeah. that they're gonna need. How would you yeah recommend that they start working toward building the credibility. They don't, you know, obviously it's going to take a year or so for the people to hear their sermons and understand their competencies, but there are some things behind the scenes, no doubt they could do to build credibility with the people. Well, I said, so the
1: first thing you do is you show up and be really clear about what it means to pastor these people, right? So if you don't show up and, you know, like I always say, like if you don't handle the scriptures well, You don't handle their souls well (laughs) you don't handle the tasks we have to do and the teams well then no one's going to follow you when you ask them to sacrifice to um to to face loss to go through learning right they are going to say we need you to do the stuff you do we need you to do well so so I, i i'm a real firm believer that um that there's a lot of shepherding and pastoring and teaching um that are needed just to build a relationship with people where they trust you And, and then as you're leading them off the map, you're leading them into the mission God has to you, the changes they need to go, you need to go through. Well, then they will trust you because they see that you've been credible. So define a little bit the
0: on the map, off the map, if you will. What do you mean by that?
1: So on the map is, um, on the map is, so in the, in the metaphor, it was in the river, paddling the canoes. They were expert river canoe people, right? So I always think of on, on the map skills are the things that everybody expects a pastor to do. Preach, teach, do pastoral care, Um, you know, run a good, healthy church, be a person of integrity, like those things, right? Um, Then off the map is when you have to say, hey, the world is changing and we have to make some changes in our church. We can't give up preaching, teaching, pastoral care, caring for souls, but we have to be able to think about what the changes are needed so that we can continue to be faithful to the mission that God's given us to reach new people and whatnot. So on, on the map is where you are... Living out the skill set that you've been trained for, and off the map is where you are learning in real time and taking. Well, I, I feel
0: like right now, Doctor Todd, that we're off the map all the time. Well, that's just one of the reasons <laughs> why this I conversation, <laughs> this conversation right
1: now, yeah. is just so live. Is like, yeah. so when I wrote the book in 2015, I, people would have conversations with me about whether there were places in the country that were post Chris and Dumber or not. Whether you could just right. keep doing the old things. Oh, not since March 13, 2020. Gotcha. <laughs> like every, yeah. everybody went off the map, right? Yeah. And That's so right. now you're grappling. So, so what I would say is what's on the map today. Well, do you still handle the scriptures? Well, do people know you care about them? Yeah. Right. Like, are we, you know, it's not about just who shows up on a Sunday morning. Who's in, who's the flock entrusted to your care? Like, yeah. um, like, th- is there a sense that this is a s- relational community of faith that is living out its faith together? Even if we're in a disjointed place, now we can ask questions about what changes are needed as we go forward yeah
0: well that that really spoke to me because like i said it just feels like we're off the map you know i in 20 years of, of ministry here i you know we we faced a lot of obviously challenges and we've had to add multiple services and build a new building and borrow money and we've had to say goodbye to people who've transitioned out and deaths and births and all the things that normally comes in church and then in march you know of of 2020 everything shut down for seven months we had no no church services we had to scramble around to try to find how to connect people online and, uh, you know, continuing to do that. So, and I'm, you know, what I'm saying is what hundreds of thousands of other pastors are going through, but it's just, uh, it feels like off the map. So that, that's one of the reasons that book spoke to me so much uh, during the pandemic. So again, yeah. uh, thank you for, for writing that and yeah. hopefully other people will pick it up and, and read it. I could talk to you all day just on that, on that one book, but yeah. I want to move to, I want to move to the other one if I can. And, and yeah. that's tempered resilience. Um, this was the first book of yours that I read and overall, again, why did you write uh, that particular book? What were you yeah. hoping to accomplish in that?
1: Well, I would say that uh, I said, it, it always seems to be like that the spirit speaks to me through some very personal conversation I have with somebody. So canoeing the mountains was written because I had pastors say to me, seminary didn't train me for this world I'm in today. Mm-hmm. I wrote tempered resilience because after I was traveling around the country talking about canoeing the mountains, I mean, I traveled a hundred thousand miles a year wow. and I'd go to c- different countries and talk about it, what would happen is eventually I started hearing over and over again, someone would say to me, you know, I don't know if we have anybody who can actually do that. That's really hard. Um, And the part that is the hardest is when your own people resist the leadership you're bringing Mm. to bring change. It's like, it's the story of the Exodus, right? Right after the Red Sea, the greatest miracle that we would see until the resurrection the people of God are saved from Pharaoh's army through the miracle of God. They get to the other side. They are looking at the, the wilderness, going to head to the promised land. And six weeks after the greatest miracle any humans had ever seen, they're saying, maybe we should go
0: back. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: I didn't realize that we were going to be camping. I didn't realize the food would be short. I didn't realize that we'd be outside. You know, you know, Moses, we really didn't want freedom. We just wanted some more straw for the bricks. Right. You were supposed to negotiate it as a better deal. We didn't want liberation. And what happens? They want to go back. Yeah. And what, if you talk to pastor after pastor after pastor, the most soul-sucking thing, even in the pandemic, was not the pandemic. It was their own people who began to turn on each other, resist, walk away, leave the church because they said, hey, we're going to need to bring changes. We're going to need to face the different world we're in. Yeah. And when the struggle for change became too high, resistance went high. And this was the most difficult thing for most pastors is facing their internal resistance of their own people. Yeah. That's so true.
0: Well, that speaks right right to the first quote I was going to mention is that people do not resist change; they resist loss. Yeah, yeah. That was very helpful to me, and I realized it's it's not that they're they're fighting against you know you're wanting to change this process or that process so much as they're they're fighting against or are feeling this sense of losing what they're comfortable with and you know etc. I thought that was uh, very insightful.
1: Well, that's from Ronald Heifetz from Harvard. Yeah. Harvard. Yeah. He's the guy who's the kind of the guru of adaptive. Leadership, and and for me, I got to tell you, that was for me the, the my entry point to the whole thing. When I started realizing, the people that I'm trying to lead, the people who asked me to lead them, right? They asked me to reach out to their neighbors, help our church grow, to make sure that we reach the non Christian folks. And then when we started doing it, they don't want to do it. Yeah, I started I said they're just so stubborn. And I realized, yeah. oh, they're actually not stubborn. We're making changes to, to to fulfill the thing they asked us to do, and they're experiencing the loss of it. That's right. Um, I experienced this in the seminary. I came, I came back to the seminary um, after, you know, uh, I said, you know, 27 years of being a pastor. And um, one of my old professors was there. One of the professors, she was a brand new professor when I got there. And when I came back, we were talking about the changes we need to make in seminary education. And she looked at me, and she said, Todd, what happened to R. Fuller? Hmm. And it was great. I remember because I, it was a different day when I was there as a student in the yeah. late 80s and early 90s as opposed to coming back today where many of our students are online, many of them are part-time, many of them are involved in full-time ministry. It's not like we're like a, a graduate institution with a strong community. It's that we are distributed. Our students are all over the world. Right. So the change isn't that we that we're say that even students and seminaries and faculty need to make isn't... Um, it, it really feels like loss. It feels like there was, there used to be something that was what we called seminary education that isn't quite the same today. And the yeah. same thing true with churches. It used to be, church used to feel like this, and it yeah. feels like we've lost our mm-hmm. church. It, it's really about navigating and taking people
0: through. It's loss. almost like a. Uh, some people are just going through a grieving process. Oh, it's, it's exactly what it is,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always say to pastors, you know, so so adaptive change that we have talked about is really about taking people through learning. It requires learning. It results in loss. Those are the first two attributes. So what we have to say to folks is, as Christians, we should perk up our ears and say, okay, learning, that's what it means to be a disciple. Loss, oh, we were trained to help people with grief. What right. we weren't, mm-hmm. we're not very good at is applying what we learned to do with individual people to whole communities and organizations. Right. And there is a skill set you can learn, just like you and I learned how to care, care for people who are going through having a death of a loved one.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I heard a therapist say recently that we do, we do birth pretty well, but we don't do death very well. Yeah. And you know, birth, we plan for months and have, you know, all these parties and gifts and all this. And then, we go through death and we want to quickly get it over with as quickly as we can and, and move yeah. on. We don't know how to grieve. We're, we're not sure yeah. what to do with all those emotions. And yeah. I think that's an excellent insight that we have to almost look at the entire church maybe as going through a grieving process. What would you yeah. do with one person? Well, maybe you might need to do that with your entire team yeah. or your yeah. entire church and walk them through that. That's again, part of discipling and part of yeah. pastoring. And, and again, you know, in, 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 in our culture, um, You know, in the world in which I grew up and learning, you know, all the conferences and so much of the church growth books is all about celebrating and it was Uh all about victory and it was all about great things. But, uh, you know, scripture is filled with with weeping. And it's filled with brokenness and it's filled with questions. Cool. And we don't know how to do that well again. Yeah, we just yeah. Don't know there's how. a whole
1: book in the Bible called Lamentations. That's
0: exactly right. And, you know,
1: yeah. I don't know, when was the last time we preached through Lamentations, yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. Um, we don't have well, a book in the Bible called, you know, Celebration.
0: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Well, you, you write that, uh, talking about grieving and some of the negative things, you write that sabotage is normal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, you say that if you're a leader, you should expect sabotage. Please yeah. explain to, uh, to to our audience, what do you mean by sabotage and how could something that sounds so horrible even possibly be normal?
1: Yeah. So you mentioned Ed Friedman's book, Failure of Nerve. Yeah. This is where this comes from. What Ed Friedman was genius at saying was, look, this is what humans do when they're facing the unknown. So I always say to people, think about this. The root word for familiar mm-hmm. and family are the same root word. Mm-hmm which means that when you're in an unfamiliar place or going through an unfamiliar experience, you don't just feel disoriented, you feel unfamilied.
0: Mm, That's good.
1: So you feel abandoned. You feel like you're lost, right? And you feel like you're orphaned. So what do you do when you feel abandoned or orphaned? You want to run back home to anything that's safe. Well, if you're taking people through a, a change process and you say, hey, we're not going back to Egypt, We're going forward to this place called the promised land, but we have to go through a wilderness to get there. It's really hard. People always want to go back. Sabotage is about going, wanting to go back. And I always say that the thing to remember about sabotage is it's not the bad things that evil people do. It is the human things that anxious people do. When we get really anxious, we want to go back to what's familiar and very often will stop the very change yeah. or transformation that God wants
0: for us. That 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 alone, that one insight there could save so much uh, mm. pain. Because I remember in my early years of, of pastoring, everything felt so personal. Yes. You know, if I if I wanted to change the music and people didn't like it, you know, I just somehow equated that with they don't like me. You know, exactly. if, if, you know, if I preached differently or, you know, let them in a series they had never heard before. And mm. I remember the first time I sat down on a stool and began to teach it really, you know, people just couldn't understand why I was sitting. They were so accustomed yes. to the preacher walking across the stage and being a little bit more, you know, evangelical in the approach. And again, I took it personal and I would allow that to offend me. And I, you know, it's embarrassing to say, I would say maybe something a little smarter like back or, you know, trying to you know, come on people, you know, get with the, with the game and uh, learning over time that it's really not about you. It's about their world changing. And you're taking something very sacred, their church, their style of preaching. Maybe they were, they gave their life to Christ under a particular style and it means a lot to them. And over the years I've had to learn that, man, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, a, that's a hard lesson to learn. Oh,
1: it's it's profoundly hard because it yeah. feels very personal, it right? So, yeah. so to recognize, you know, so Ed Friedman goes so far as to say that, you know, if you're trying to bring a change and it's a change that, you know, we believe is the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading us in a direction for change. He's trying to bring a change. He goes, you can't think you've been a success until after you have made the change, mm-hmm. then survive the sabotage. Yep. <laughs> the sabotage comes every single time. It always comes after you've made the change. When people start experiencing the the pain, when people are now experiencing, hey, we're in the wilderness and there's not as much food as there was even for when we compared to when we were in slavery, and it's staying the course through that process so that they can kind of grow in their own resilience and staying and that's what, that's
0: st- what staying in is. the process, as you say, yeah. that that separates the the good from the great leaders. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really separates because a lot of us can start the process. It's carrying through with the process that really separates uh, them. So that was so insightful. Well, one other quote from the book uh, on page 63, you quote Oswald and Jacobson. You say the, the emotional competencies of pastors and church leaders are probably the most important factors in pastoral effectiveness. So I would say that's where the emotional competencies come into play with the sabotage and with with all those different things, yes. speak a little bit to the emotional capacities, because a lot of times you don't hear that when you go to conferences. A lot of times you're not—they're not talking about. They're giving—they're trying to give you all these skills, you know, how to right. how to double the church, you know, how to reach more people, how to preach better. Uh, but no one—well, I shouldn't say no one, but I think it's a little bit more out there today than it used to be. But they didn't talk a lot about the emotional weight. That it has on you, how to yeah. deal with the with what you feel are personal attacks, what to do when people are sabotaging you. So, talk a little bit about the emotional capacities of, of pastors, the competencies, I should say. Well,
1: well, you know, it's interesting. Here, you and I are talking. We're both older, experienced pastors, yeah. and both of us would probably say there was a time in our lives when yeah. we took everything way too serious, <laughs> too right. personally, right? Yeah, right. Emotional capacity is your capacity to be able to, like one, just one way. When I coach people, I say, "Look, I just need you for this." thing to separate yourself from your role. Mm. They probably think you are a fine human being. Yeah. They hate that in your role, you have to disappoint them. It's like being the referee in a game. Yeah, yeah. Half the group are going to yell at you the whole time. Yeah. They have, they're not, they're not make most of the time, they're not picking on your children or right. telling you you're ugly. They're, they're upset at your role. Yeah. Now, Let's be clear, when they're mad, when people are mad, people are mad. And if we take it personally, they get angry, they get angry at you. But if you can manage your own reactivity, if you cannot take it personally, you can actually calm the situation down and do better because you can continue to work people through the process. So one of the first things you have to figure out is, can you develop the emotional non-reactivity as they talk about it? Um, your capacity to stay focused on um, the thing that God's called you to do, stay focused on the task you have to do. And, yeah. and that's well, really I, hard.
0: It is very hard. I, I can't speak of course, to all other careers and all the other you know, areas of, of leading in the business world, et cetera. But I, it seems as if that is especially challenging for pastors yeah. because of, so, you know, very few, my, my wife worked for, with the state for nearly 20 years and in education and all the different things she left that at, most of the time left it at work when she came home you know, she didn't have a lot of the the her colleagues that she were friends with, you know, in social media. They didn't celebrate birthdays together. They certainly didn't celebrate deaths of the family members together. Mm-hmm. You know, and and all these different things. But in church, your your world, your professional, your personal world is so married, yeah. and you're 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 preaching to some of the same people. You also celebrate their birthdays, their, their yes. wedding anniversaries. You go to the rooms at the hospital when when a baby is born, and it it, it feels extremely personal when those very same people want to criticize some of your skills or criticize yes. decisions you make. So the emotional competencies of a pastor, it seems like they almost have to be better than almost any other area uh, of a career or any other area of leading. It just seems like to me. It's yeah. Really so the,
1: the, the, closest analogy for those of us, you know, if, if you've got folks who are like church members who are listening to this is um it's like running a family business. The church is really a family business. We're a family. We have, inherent relationships we are brothers and sisters whether we like it or not we are stuck with each other but we are a family that has a business it's called participating in the mission of god it's to be the answer to the prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth right it is the great commission there's a there's a charge we've been given so now we have these competing values we have to grapple with the fact that we inherently love each other no matter what we do and we have something to do yeah and so it's very hard when you're the leader of that when you say, "Look, I will love you no matter what. I want this to be a safe place for you to experience the love of God." And now we are also going to be moving forward to make an impact on the community, and especially when people are, you know, on our staff or our our leaders, it's it's really complicated. And that's um, it's one of the reasons why you know the you know one of the the famous uh, Peter Drucker, who is a management leader, said that he thought that along with like a small town mayor and hospital administrator and president of a university, he thought being a pastor was one of those hardest jobs. And the reason why they were hard is they had multiple constituents with differing ideas that Mm -hmm. you had to hold on to, multiple stakeholders who had
0: profoundly different goals. That's so true. Wow. Well, I want to move away from those two books and just kind of a few questions at the end of this, if that's okay, yeah. Yeah, take it sure. just a little bit different direction. Um, I'd, I'd like to know, where where do you see the church? I mean, you're with these mm. leaders, you know, every day training these younger, I'm sure they're varying ages, but many of them are going into ministry soon. Yeah. Uh, all the pandemic, the things you're you're reading, especially in the U.S., where do you see the church moving in a decade or two? What, 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 I know you can't predict it, but where do you see the church of the future, if you will? What What are some thoughts maybe that you have about
1: that? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Scott, because so I do work at a seminary. So I work with students who are be- getting trained, but I work mostly in the doctor of ministry department. So I work okay. with experienced leaders coming back okay. to get training. And I spend all my day coaching and consulting and, and working with leaders on the front line. So I work mostly with more senior leaders than I work with emerging leaders. And here's the interesting thing that I've said, is I think the world now makes us think about that question differently. Like in the, in the 1990s, you know, people used to quote Wayne Gretzky, the hockey player, you know, uh, skate to where the puck is right. going. Right. Well, what if we live in a world that has four pucks going in four <laughs> different directions? Yeah. So, so I true. think the, the future is not going to be who can predict and who can get there. It's going to be, to use a different phrase, who can prototype, Hmm. who can do small experiments, who can learn as they go, who can learn to not waste a crisis because you're going to learn through it. So I would say right now that what I'm noticing, and I, I, I speak 150 times a year and I coach um, over, I'm working with over 50 congregations at the moment. Um, What I'm aware of is the churches where people say we are going to learn we're going to take risks, we're going to experiment, we're going to, if it doesn't work, we're going to say, it's not about whether it worked, what did we learn, and we're going to keep moving. Those churches move forward. They look to the future. The churches that are like, we want security, we want to get comfortable, we want to go home, we want what's familiar, I think those churches are going to struggle deeply. And so the question here is: Are you willing to be a church that's willing to not waste this crisis no. by learning in through the middle of it and moving forward? That's one step so good. at a time.
0: And I, I imagine you would you would recommend a pastor just to say that to the congregation: Hey, we're we're trying some new things here. They yep. may work. They may not work. Yep. We're going to do the absolute best we can yep. to figure this thing out as we go.
1: Yeah. And I would say would say say to the congregation: Hey, we're going to try a lot of new things, and we're not even going to worry if they work. We're going to ask ourselves: What are we learning? OK, experiments are like, think about a scientist. Experiments yeah. are about learning. So the question isn't, hey, did this thing work? It's what did we learn? And if we learn, for example, that, hey, a lot of our a lot of our people can stay connected online. Well, then we're going to work on some online stuff. If we learn that, hey, our online education or our online worship is breaking down our community. Well, then we're going to figure out how. OK, how well, the question we want to ask is, how do we develop deeper community? And it's just. Yeah creating a mindset of curiosity and learning and experimenting requires creating a culture of safety
0: rather than trying to figure out where, where we're going to go tomorrow, really be fully present today and, and accept what is in front of you rather than trying to anticipate 10 years down the road, because we live in such a, I'm just kind of repeating back some of the things you're saying that's clicking in my mind. Uh, it it sounds like to me it, our world is changing so quickly and so fast. No one can really predict. Exactly. We don't even know where we're going to be two years from today, let alone ten years. Yeah. So take where you are, learn from you can, adapt as quickly as possible, learn from it, and and be as as good as you can be where you are.
1: Yeah. So when uh, yeah. when canoeing when canoeing the mountains came out in 2015, I think I did like one or two podcasts. Mm. <laughs> I've done. Dozens. I do. I do. I did two today. Wow. <laughs> like, right. Wow. right? We, in two thousand in March thirteenth, twenty twenty, I got off a plane, and I had fifteen speaking engagements canceled. At the time, yeah. I used to have thirty a year. I'd get on a plane thirty yeah. times a year, oh, oh, yeah. more than two times a month. I thought I'm not going to do any speaking in the next year. I did a hundred and seventy webinars. Like, wow. I I didn't know how to do that twenty months ago. Like we're learning all That's the right. time, That's and so things good. are train changing so fast. There's this great quote by Eric Hoffer. You know, in times of great change, the learners inherit the earth. Mm. Learners inherit the earth. The learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. Wow. And those who are willing to be learners, and which is again disciples to be learners, to be humble, to be experiment, to try things, they're going to move forward. Yeah. And those who want to be the
0: experts are going to be the experts of the past. That I got to write that quote down. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. The learners inherit the earth. That's yeah. great. Well, hey, what, uh, you're traveling around talking to different churches and, 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 consulting, um, what, what concerns you about kind of where we are in our society and, you know, what, what, are, what is something that, that kind of bothers you with what you see that you would yeah. love to maybe speak into?
1: Well, thank you for asking. You know, um, so during the pandemic, I would often say that I believe believe that the pandemic didn't cause problems; it revealed them. It, that it was apocalyptic, kind of like the yeah. book of Revelation. It gets revealed. Right. So I would say, you know, there are four things that show up that I talk about all the time that have been revealed by almost every leader I talk to. The number one is I think we have a crisis of discipleship. Yeah, um, we have too many of us realized, man. We went through a crisis and we didn't act very Christian. We acted an awful lot like whatever we were seeing in the world. The world got all divisive. We got divisive, right? The world got all, started arguing over things like, you know, vaccines and masks and stuff. We did, right? We didn't look like salt and light. We didn't look like something different. We have a crisis of discipleship. Um, And it's not true in every place, but many. We have a crisis of community. I mean, I have pastors I work with every day. One of the pastors I coach is from a Great church in the south, and he said, "You know what? I have, I have baptized their children. I have walked, bar- helped them bury their loved ones. I have been with them through marital problems. I've been with them in hospital rooms where we prayed to see their children make it through surgery, and they get mad at a one thing I say, and they change churches. Yeah, like, like it's just like the sense that we are community. We're members of one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ." And we, we treat the church like, well, if I don't like this, I'll go to the one down the street. Right. That that consumeristic approach to both discipleship and community is really hurting the church at a lot of levels. Yeah. And and I think that leads to the third one, which is we've had a we have a we have a we don't have nearly enough leadership development. There are not enough leaders to be able to be in a distributed church. To we need more people who have leadership. Capacities and discipleship capacities who could lead small groups of people in discipleship better. Yeah. And I think the fourth one is we we've not been, we've realized the Bible is filled with wisdom about how God cares about justice. And we haven't figured out how to talk about justice in any way that's different than the world. We either we sound either overly reactive or we sound overly defensive, and we have not become the kinds of people who bring the justice that you see of God all the way through.
0: Yeah. Well, my, my final question had to do with with a possible book that maybe you'll be thinking about. I was thinking that those four right there alone could, could lead into an incredible book and uh, really open up the eyes of a lot of church leaders about some of the things that we need to be really looking to and, and think deeply yeah. about. So what do you have a... Kind of a book in mind, or something well, I have a inside? contract for a book. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so so, <laughs> so the, book better, am, right. the book
1: I the book I am working on is on discipleship. Basically, cool. it's a book Excellent. it's a book about discipleship. It's a book about how do you disciple people so they will have this capacity to faithfully change for the sake of the mission of God in mm. the world. So the discipleship is no longer about trying to um, support the institutions of the past, but create the missional capacities for the future. And so it, it's it's really a Discipleship meets adaptive change. Is what uh, any about. any
0: prediction on when that may be available?
1: Well, I know it's going to be available okay. <laughs> because I have a deadline. Okay. Okay. Um, so it'll be it'll be available uh, in uh, fall of 2022.
0: Great. Well, I look forward to that. Oh,
1: excuse me, fall of twenty twenty four. Fall of twenty twenty four. Okay, so two
0: two more years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we look forward to that and uh, yeah. continuing to learn from you. Well, Doctor Todd, thank you for your your time uh, today. I know you're very busy, got a lot of other things going on, but you, you were so kind to to take some uh, some moments and share with us some insights. And my hope is that more people will will grab your books and follow you and check out you know things online, maybe social media as well, and just keep up with what you're doing, what you're learning, what you're sharing, because um, you're you're certainly a gift to the church.
1: Yeah. Hey, can I just say this one thing? Sure. If people want to connect to the work I do, there's this little thing I, my staff came up with. You can just text the word change, change, C-H-A-N-G-E. Okay. To 66866. Hmm. Great. Change 66866. Too many sixes for a pastor. Yeah. But, um, but, <laughs> that's uh, unique. But, yeah. That's a word that they gave it. But if yeah. you text the word change to 66866, what you will get is a connection to the center that I lead that gives resources about this.
0: It's called the Church Leadership Institute. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you again, Todd.